Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. This is Eating Crow with Pete Durand. Hey everyone, welcome to another thrilling episode of the Eating Crow podcast. I'm joined by what I wish I was in the younger version of Pete, Hampton Dorsch. Hashtag goals. Oh my goodness. Well, I am joined by the person who has the voice that I want to sound like when I grow up one. As my voice cracks when I grow up one day. Oh my <laughs> gosh, dude, you got to cut this out. <laughs> You're not going to. You know, I, I told you before the call, I'm not actually feeling very well today. So my voice is even more, you know, a radio voice as my wife likes to say, honey, you've got a voice for radio. Well, you do. You do, Pete. I hate my voice. That's the funny thing. When I hear my own podcast, I spend most of my time editing me out, which is funny. Quit. Keep it on. I love it. <laughs> so, buddy, we have to jump in right away because you're kind of like an up and comer on this platform. I know a few people who were at your stage and have done big things, but I love it because you're talking about leadership and you've never actually done leadership. It's a bold move, my friend. I'm an expert. I know it all. I, I'm, I'm kidding. <laughs> I will give you a compliment right away early in the program. The way you've approached this is fantastic. So for those that don't follow Hampton, you need to because he's curious. That's the way I'll describe you. You're always seeking out people in leadership roles, asking them how they do it, learning from it, and sharing that information with others. And that's how you position yourself as an expert in leadership because you're bringing it to the common folk. Kudos. I think it's a great approach. I talked to a guy probably two months ago who reached out and wanted to just connect and do a mentorship session with me. And he's positioned himself as an expert on leadership. But he's trying to be an expert, and he has not a minute of leadership experience. That's a little harder as well. Yeah. I am no expert on leadership. I will never be an expert on leadership. I think we always need to be learning and growing. And I have been blessed throughout my life to have opportunities in high school and college, growing up in church and in sports and all that. You get all these leadership roles, but you don't really think about being a leader just because it's just part of growing up, you know, and and then all of a sudden you, you know, I graduate college and then I'm like, oh, I don't have any of these titles anymore. And by the grace of God, I land in a company called WildSpark where we do leadership development. So that has given me the space to talk about this kind of stuff and be curious. But a big part of WildSpark is talking about not just the importance of developing your current leaders, but your future ones too. So we always say it's important to have leaders ready. And so I like to put myself in that category and I'm doing everything I can to be ready for whatever opportunity comes. Because I think as I talk to HR leaders and CEOs a lot about this, they say, well, we get these people put into management roles because we've grown quickly or because they were good individual contributors, but they they don't know how to lead. And people wait to start, quote, leading until they get the title. If you start doing it before, I haven't gotten there yet, but I'm told it pays off. So so that's kind of where I am on this journey. Well, and I, I tease you because you have had leadership roles in your past, like you said, with your church and your fraternity and at school and some other places. And Way they may not be necessarily leading big teams. They are leadership roles, right? You're in front of the crowd, you're setting direction, you're setting tone. And I think those are actually more difficult leadership positions when you're leading peers and not in a formal leadership structure. That is a more nuanced, special aspect of leadership. In my opinion, that's the true definition of leadership versus management. Management can create hierarchy. Leadership uh, creates followers, which is very different than 
workers or employees. So let's step back a little bit into your earlier days. You mentioned high school and your church. So what was your first exposure to a leadership role for yourself? Well, the first time I remember hearing the word leadership or yeah, it was really my my mom. She said, Hampton, you're a leader. You're a, you know, my grandmother saying you're, you're a natural born leader, whether that was just them thinking so highly of their, uh, their son and grandson, or maybe, maybe I was some of the advice I got was people will follow you. Where are you going to lead them? Is it going to be for good or is it going to be for, for bad or for yourself? And so I was told that a lot growing up and I'd say the first main one was probably like in youth group and church growing up, just having opportunities through whether it was helping out lead worship or like on a trip with some of the junior high kids. I did choir in high school. I was the, uh, here's the, here's the title. I was the president of honor choir. So, uh, wow. Got to put that one on my LinkedIn too. Smart people <laughs> who can sing. I, I wouldn't put myself <laughs> in the smart category. I would put myself in the extreme, uh, uh, extracurricular activities to make my resume to 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 make that extremely flat 3.0 look a little better. <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. So, uh, siblings, brothers, sisters, what does that look like? I got two sisters. One's two years older, and one is two years younger. If they were sitting here with your your family, would they concur with your mom and your grandmother and say Hampton's a natural born leader? Yeah, after a few eye rolls, they may they may agree now. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I think we're in a spot now where 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 they, where they might agree. But to my younger sister growing up, I was was kind of a jerk. We talk about that now. We're super tight. To my older sister, she called me Ferris Bueller because she just I, I was getting out of police tickets and getting. We went to the same school for college and I got a scholarship that was like a little bit more than hers, even though like her GPA and everything was way better than mine. So I think she kind of had the, what are you doing, man? But now we actually work together. So Wild Spark has a sister company called Fire Seeds and she works at Fire Seeds. So we're in the same office. And so I still probably get some eye rolls from her, but I, I think she might agree now that that I'm uh, somewhat of a leader. <laughs> For the people who are uh, Hampton's age who may not have seen Ferris Bueller's Day Off, watch it and just pay attention to his sister because I can only imagine the eye rolls that you were getting because that's exactly where they she just looked at him with disdain almost through the whole movie until she had to come and save his butt. Yep, exactly. So when you think about leadership and what's drawn you to it, what is it about being in a room full of people where there's not potentially a leader defined or assigned that causes you or draws you to stepping up and raising your hand and saying, I'll fill that role. So what's interesting is I used to think that leadership was all about charisma. And I think that when you find yourself in that room of uh, a bunch of people and there's not like titles given out, somebody has to step up. And I think that can be a good thing. But a, a story is was big into my fraternity in college and I was a freshman and there's 42 guys in our pledge class and the senior guys in charge of all of us says, okay, I'll be back in 30 minutes. I'll pick your pledge class president. So that then everyone kind of stands up on the back of the truck, the five guys that want to, you know, be the president and give their little spiel. And, you know, looking back on my life, I think so much of it has just been about seeking the attention and the titles and the recognition. And I found that kind of going off your question here, but like, no, you're getting to it. Yep. Well, I've had the ability to maybe through charisma or something, 
get myself into titles which benefit me in the short term. But what I ended up learning and thank the Lord for this, I've learned this early on is people will know where your intentions are. It might take one year, five years, 10 years, or after you're dead and gone, but eventually people will know. And I think that early on in you know church and school and on my sports teams and my fraternities, for a, a big part of it, it was just all about me. And so I found myself in the in that role. And, and luckily, I was able to learn that it's really not about me. Like uh, the good leaders are the ones that are others focused. And so ironically, as I in college was able to find success by getting myself into these positions, I didn't find joy in the midst of them because it was about building the Hampton Kingdom. And then when I was able to understand, and I still work through this all the time, you know, living for other people and not having my identity in, in success. That's where the magic happens. That's when you're like the leaders that I look up to the most are the ones that can, everyone knows they're in charge, but they can sit in the back of the room and empower somebody else to talk. Like, that's what I want to be. Well, if you're a good leader, I feel like you're going to get your chance to talk in front of a bunch of people that's going to come. But like you earn that by empowering other people, which I think is so upside down from what I used to think and what a lot of people think. So we're we're gonna bottle that last five minutes, and that should be that should be the intro to almost any leadership course out there. Wise beyond your years, Hampton. I got to tell you that, and I want to drill into how you learned those lessons. We're gonna talk about that in a minute because there has to be a couple of lessons learned there, right? There's some uncomfortable moments you realize maybe there's a different way to do this, and it's not about me. But a couple of things you said that are really important to call out there. I too have have been fortunate to be around some incredible leaders, starting with my father and. Some of my closest friends that I've built here in North Carolina over the last 20 years are some of the best leaders I've ever I've ever been around, whether they're friends or coworkers or business people in general, some of the finest men I've ever met. All very different, but all of them extremely humble and incredible listeners. And I learned early on the power of of letting other people on your team stand before you. Even if it's an uncomfortable, they've got to learn it's their moment, but it takes a lot for a leader to step back and let somebody fly on their own. And one of the ways I learned to do that when I was raising money for my companies as a CEO, I was insistent upon having my leadership team as early as possible in the fundraising meeting in front of the investors. And somebody asked me, why are you doing that? I go, well, I might get us in the door and I might be the charisma leadership guy with the vision, but if they don't feel like we've got a team behind me that can A, challenge me, like literally, will you call P out if he's wrong? or B, bring their individual talents to the table and build a cohesive team, then they won't invest in the company. So get them in front of them early as possible. Let your marketing person do the marketing section, salesperson, sales section, finance, all the way down the road. Even if they weren't comfortable presenting, they had to do it. And then if they were in a role where they were raising money, then they had been through that gamut. So it's interesting that you pointed that out, that a true leader sits back and quietly empowers their team to lead in front of them. So I'm going to come back to the original question. Was there a specific team or group or role that you had where you thought, ooh, I kind of just got popped in the mouth there and didn't realize it. I'm going to take that as a lesson. Can you share something like that? So I'm going to talk about something that is a tradition at the college I went to that it's one of those things that if you didn't go there, you might not care, but I think this might help. Sure. So I went to a small private Christian school in Birmingham called Sanford. I know you've heard of it. There's this huge tradition that has been going on for 75 years called Stepsing. So I talked about choir earlier. I've kind of put off this like jock fraternity vibe for most of college but then all of a sudden i'm like well i gotta do step sing like i because i love like singing and i'm not an amazing singer but i know how to like direct people to sound good and so long story short 
I um, was the director for Step Sing my sophomore, junior, and senior year. And basically what it is, imagine 75 guys on a stage who all played sports growing up and probably five of them had ever done anything like that before and the other ones don't want to be there. But you have to like get them all bought in. And what's crazy is it it takes three weeks of practicing every single night. Everyone on campus does it and they don't care until they get on the stage and then they hear the girls yell and then they're like, oh my gosh, I'm all in. And so... I'm having to tell them over and over and over again, you're going to like, trust me, this is important. You're going to want to know how to do it. Well, long story short, this is where I learned. If you go back, if you were to go back and type in Sid McKay Steps in 2018 or whatever, you would see me in 2017 and 2018 front and center the whole time. You know, I'm like, oh, I'm pretty good at this. I love to sing and dance or whatever. But if you go to 2020, I'm in the back. And that's when the shift happened for me. When it was, I used to get frustrated because it didn't sound as good as we could, but I knew that if I was in the back and people could hear me, that I could help. And then we would sound a lot better. And also knew that if I put a freshman, if I put the director up in the front, they had to take ownership. And if I made them speak like you did, you better believe they couldn't hide anymore. And so what we learned, we ended up winning my senior year. And it was because it was for the first time I'd didn't make it about me. And I was like, how can we empower as many people as possible, get some freshmen up there at the, at the front, at the beginning. And even though in the moment, the lie that I believed is, oh man, I, I don't get to be the the star of the show or whatever. There was so much joy to watch all these other guys just like live it. And then so much more joy happened when I like empowered other people instead of trying to make it about me. So when I ask people to give an example of a turning point in their life for whatever the trajectory they're on. Yours is is somehow fostering and nurturing and finding and sharing leadership. I don't get examples often that are material and brilliant. So there's a couple of things that you said that are awesome. Well, the whole thing was awesome, but leading from the back, that is brilliant in and of itself. And you literally did that. You were in the back of the back of the formation. But I also liked how you said, if I could sing from the back, they could hear me and I could help the team win. So first of all, the fact that you noticed, right, and then made the adjustment is great. And you've got film. I'm actually going to go now Google this and try to find 17, 18, and 20. You'll like it. It's pretty good. <laughs> I'm going to find it. But it's true. And I can't imagine getting 75 former athletes in college with egos that I'm sure are pretty substantial to, to do this together. And it had to be awesome. Our, my kid's high school had a thing called Mr. Greenhope, and it was kind of an ad-lib talent show where they would do skits. And then the whole school would vote on who Mr. Greenhope was. I love it. And both my boys did it. And it was fantastic to watch them come out of their shells and do this and, and really have a good time. And they really look forward to it. And we talk about being out of your comfort zone. It was fun to watch the teachers embrace it and still have it happen. All right. So fast forward, you have this kind of, I'll call it eating crow moment, right? During the 2020 Step Sing competition, which you guys won. When you graduated and you took your first job, I know you went to work for WildSpark and they do leadership as the platform. It's what they do. You've started this podcast. Was that something you knew you wanted to do right away or was it something that evolved? It absolutely evolved. I figured I would do something in sales. My dad's in medical sales and I was like, I either want to do that or I want to, you know, I thought I'd be in, at the top of a high rise in a suit, you know, sitting across from a CEO slick back hair. Like I thought that's what sales was. Now I'm in technology sales wearing a backwards hat <laughs> on Zoom calls, but when I got there, all of a sudden I spent two hours trying to remember my LinkedIn password, got re-logged in, and then I start seeing, you know, the McKee brothers and some other people posting on LinkedIn. And I was like, wait, am I on Twitter or LinkedIn? 
Uh, and so I started watching this for a year. Josh Etris, who used to work at Wilds Park with me, he's big on LinkedIn. He'd always tell me, dude, you should, you should put yourself out there. You should do it. And I'm like, what do I have to share? Like, I'm not a leader. I don't have anything to share. I don't have any experience. And then uh, we had another leader in Wilds Park come along, our VP of Ops, Corey Tao, who's one of the best leaders I know, who he basically was like, Wildspark, I think we should try this. I'm not going to require anybody to do anything, but y'all give this a shot. And so he essentially empowered me to step out of my comfort zone and start putting stuff out there. And for a little while, I was kind of able to make an excuse like, yeah, we just kind of do it for work. But then all of a sudden it started taking off. And so that's just where like the podcast and the LinkedIn, all that came from. And you said it at the beginning, I am not the leadership expert here. I like to say on my podcast, I'm learning in public. So Pete was on my podcast and I'm just asking him questions and learning from him. And then a big part of what I'm trying to share is, you know, we're doing leadership development for other companies, but I think most companies miss it because they, they only think about maybe their managers. Like a lot of times it's just executive teams. If it's a decent company, they'll do something for their managers. But I like to talk about the, the younger person that you want to keep. And so I myself am so bought into WildSpark after two years, because I am being invested in and developed at a super high level to where I'm like, I'm growing so much here. Why would I consider going somewhere else? And I think that's the message that I can share as the recent college grad that's just soaking in and learning as much as possible. They often get overlooked. So I just want people to start paying attention to some of the younger folks, because then you should be excited about the great resignation because those younger folks that are all leaving their jobs right now because Gen Z's don't want to work hard are going to come and work for you because they want to grow and develop. Uh, it's so true. I, I think developing leadership talent's a lost art. There were companies that were good at it, and it seems to be a much more unusual circumstance to find organizations developing talent. In my early days at Eaton and at Kimberly-Clark and GE, they all had very different structures for doing this. Kimberly-Clark was a little bit too formal for me. And I was in the technical path, right? So you become an engineer, then you become a research scientist, whatever. It was way too thought out. I wanted something a little more off the cuff and driven by my own initiative rather than time. It was very time-based. Three years here, you get this. That wasn't interesting to me. When I got to GE, that's where I saw true leadership development. Love them or hate them. You know, GE's got a lot of haters and lovers that view their culture. One thing they did do well was develop talent. And they identified people early on they rewarded them. And then they pulled them aside and said, hey, we see high potential for you. And here's what we're going to do. And then they invested heavily in them. Training, coaching, mentoring. I was assigned a mentor that crushed me for a year. And I found it so... It was the first time someone actually punched me in the mouth and said, here's the five things you suck at in addition to the five things you're really good at. No one had ever told me the things I sucked at. It was little things like, hey, you could develop this. But no one really pulled me aside and said, that's not good. But these other things are so good, we want to work in those areas. And then they did. So... When you think about developing leadership talent, I like the nuance you described that it's not just about going to an executive and making them a better executive. It's feeding your talent pipeline and identifying people at different stages in the organization that show potential, especially ones that raise their hand and say, I'd like to try this. That's even more unusual. So describe to me, and without going necessarily to the platform at WildSpark, what are some of the things that you talk to CEOs and other leadership teams about? What are the traits that you're telling them to identifying young talent and how do they foster that? Yeah. I mean, let's see the trait, the traits that we want to them to identify in young talent. Like, I mean, well, I'll start with like what wild spark is like without going into too much detail. I think a lot of times like, sure, go for it. 
there's two ends of the spectrum. There's the, all right, we're going all in. We're sending everybody off to a conference. This is going to be great. It's going to be a ton of fun. And I think you'll learn a ton when you go there and you're a speaker and you fill up a notebook, but then you get back and you're behind on work and you have a bunch of emails. And so like Mm -hmm. there's that. And then there's the other end of the spectrum where everything now is about scalability. So it's just, let's create this colossal learning library with resources and on paper, it looks great to an executive to say, yeah, your young talent's going to learn how to do this, that, and the other. All they have to do is watch these videos and they get their certification at the end. Sure. And I would say that what we like to focus on, you talked about mentorship at WildSpark. A lot of what's happening is some of these younger high potentials that may not even have a leadership title end up getting placed in a group with a manager or director or a VP, however it works. So every month, as employee of a company, you're going to get a lesson on servant leadership or coaching or giving feedback or tough conversations. And you're going to do that lesson on your own. It'll be, you know, you'll watch some movie clips. There'll be some humor there. There'll be some questions. But then if it was just that, I would not work at Wild Spark. I don't think we'd be growing the way that we are. We really believe that people grow best in the context of community where they can learn with them from each other. So what happens is if a company has a hundred people doing Wild Spark, we're going to split them into 12, 13, 14 groups of a few people. And within that group, there will be some managers that are the leaders of the group. So every group has a leader. So all that to say, if I'm talking to a CEO, I'm saying, so imagine your middle managers leading a group of five or six high potentials. A couple of things happen. One, the high potentials get to learn from the manager, but two, the manager gets an opportunity to lead and facilitate. And so it's kind of a win on both end. And they're just talking about things that don't often get talked about. Instead of watching a, a video of, you know, how to prioritize your time, you you go through it and then you unpack that as a team together. And so I would just say that I think growth is rarely maximized in isolation. And so for that high potential, we're going to get you around some of your peers and also some of some of the older, more seasoned folks, and you're going to learn from each other. And you described in those situations kind of a manager with other team members in a group setting. How much of your development, and you mentioned that WildSpark is investing in you, how much of that is done in a one-on-one format? Like me personally or, or through yeah. WildSpark? Okay. You personally. Yeah. So, I mean, I have learned an enormous amount from WildSpark and there's both though. So like, I think, you know, what's interesting is a huge part of our goal with WildSpark is to hopefully create the kind of, I'm careful how I use this word, but kind of culture that WildSpark, the company actually has, you know? Okay. Mm-hmm. And so I, I have one-on-ones with my manager every week and that's a huge part of it. And there's separate ones. There's like a, there's a one-on-one where we're talking about life and goals and this, that, and the other. There's a, and then there's like a pipeline review sales, sure. you know, where we're talking yeah. about that. And so it's it's cool that those are separated. I also have different meetings with like my boss's boss. That's like every two weeks. And so I'm learning a lot there. And so I'm definitely learning and growing a lot outside of WildSpark, the platform itself. But I can contribute a lot of the growth opportunities to WildSpark because it's, it is a monthly bite-sized chunk opportunity to learn about just some of these basic leadership principles. And then the coolest part about it is that when I come together for my team meeting, I'm in a group with my CEO. (laughs) And so we get to go around and talk about some of this stuff and I get to hear his take on it too. And it gives me a chance to, to, we're all on an even playing field um, in those conversations. And so the, just 
the growth opportunities from that are huge too. In your profile on LinkedIn, you've got a couple things that, uh, for those who care, there's, these are some things about me you might want to know. And they're kind of in two different groups, which I thought were interesting. The first one, your faith is the number one thing you list, right? It's, it's the top thing in your life. And we've talked about this before on, on another podcast. I personally believe, and I know you do that, that's where it all starts, right? By the way, I'm not going to purport. Whatever your faith is, your faith is, but there's something bigger than you. There's a cause pulling you. There's something that is your guide. And I think so many people miss the opportunity to center their life and their journey around their faith. So if you have one, you can't just claim it and show up on Sunday and say, I'm it. You got to live it. That's my only mention. You just got to live it. And you clearly live it. So I'm going to drill into the title of the podcast, Wake Up and Lead. And I'm going to pull out some of the things in this section. When you wake up, what's the first thing you do? Man, me and you could start a whole nother podcast about this. I love getting up early in the morning. And the first thing that I do is read my Bible. It hasn't always been like that. But speaking about my faith, the best leader there's there ever was and there ever will be is Jesus. And so I <laughs> I read about him and I read about how he this morning I'm in I'm in Matthew and just read about how he's empowering his disciples to then go. And yeah, that's a it's really what leadership is like empowering and building other people to go share a message. So that's how I start my day. That gets me. It just reminds me my identity. So whether I lose every deal that that comes across my way or whether I everything goes south, my identity is is not found in my success. It's found in my faith in Jesus. So that frees me up to live life to the fullest, not live a safe, mediocre, sure. risk averse life. <laughs> It helps me to be able to be bold and put myself out there because my identity is not in the approval of other people. So that's one. Then there's going to be definitely some fitness. I will say I've gotten the CrossFit bug. I am super into that. And if you can knock out those two things and then show up to work, I'm like, the day is one already. The day is one. And now I can just show up and, and work and then go home and spend time with my wife when I get home. So that's what I'm doing in the morning. So you've hit a couple of really good points there. And uh, the last one, especially I want to drill into in a minute, but speaking about reading the Bible and, and Jesus being the greatest leader of all time, have you watched The Chosen? Oh yeah. So good. So good. I actually talked about this in, an, in, an, in another conversation with a leader the other day. I've seen all sorts of movies and depictions of Christ, but if you have not watched this program, you need to watch it because that's the dude I want to hang with. My wife and I looked at each other and I'm like, and you know, by the way, my kids are your age, right? So when I tell my kids you need to watch this program, I get a little bit of the eye roll. Okay, dad wants to watch this. this. It is the most compelling depiction of Christ I've ever seen because you mentioned Matthew, right? He, it shows how he built his team and they were all flawed, incredibly difficult, and sometimes horrible human beings that he pulled together as his team and said, I know you're flawed, but I love you no, no matter what. And I accept you. And I'm going to raise the bar for you. And this is what you have potential. And like you said, you, it's just such a great way of describing. And you see his struggle about being a man and God. Like when the wedding at Cana happens, he looks up and he goes, I kind of like what I'm doing right now. He's like, literally, he's like, this is pretty cool life right now. Are you sure now's the time? And he's like, okay, let's go do this. He's like, this, he just knew this was it. Game on. And the way they depict that is so subtle, but so powerful. And you mentioned when you get when you check that faith box in the morning and you start and give your first search of the day to God and, and you sit down and center yourself. So same thing. I do this. I spend 45 minutes every morning in meditation and prayer. Sometimes it's scripture. Sometimes just some, just me talking to God saying, this is what's going on in my life. This person needs some help. How do we do that? Sometimes just saying, Hey, I suck at this. Help me get through it. 
and then spending that next period of time. And for me, I've shifted from right after that in fitness to doing my workouts at lunch because my most creative time when I'm creating content is, is that next hour. So I've, I've, do- I've dove into that. When I had to go to an office, I always did my workout first, 5.30 in the morning, always got it done. But now I found I can crank out content and then my body needs a break at, at lunch. And that's when I get my workout in. But to your point, the last thing you said is so important, it's done, right? I'm not thinking about, oh, when am I going to get my workout in? When am I going to get my prayers in? They're finished. And at 5.30 in the morning, no one's scheduling a meeting with you. It's completely up to you to use that time. Yeah, it is completely up to you to use that time. I could talk about this for a long time. And my friend Teddy often says people prioritize intensity over consistency. Yes. You have just got to break through the two week, three week, one month wall, whatever it is. And here's the thing. I used to roll my eyes at the fitness people that would always talk about, I'm like, okay, come on, man. Like, but the thing is there's things in my life that I need to work on as far as like getting consistent with. But I think like what Teddy says is in order to master this consistency, you've got to make it small enough. So like maybe when you're trying to start off, it's, it is just like showing up to the gym, the the atomic habits. What is it? The art of showing up. Like if you're not able to be consistent, it's likely because the habit is not small enough. And if it is small enough and you're still not doing it, you just don't care. So if you don't care, that's fine. But I feel like that's that's really the key. Well, I did a post on this about a month ago and, and I and I identified while sitting and having a cup of coffee on my front porch, the difference between people who succeed at a task and those who don't is routine. And that's part of consistency, right? If you build a routine you form habits. Habits are hard to break. And it also pushes out time or capacity for bad habits when you form good habits. I don't have time should be illegal to say. It's so funny. I have the same mantra. I used to give lectures on how to find time to exercise and eat right. And by the way, eating right takes no more time than not eating right. It's simple decision-making, right? So people, and by the way, the joy of cooking healthy food, the process, the output, and how you feel afterwards, people don't realize how good it is. A quick side note, my wife has been adamant every night We've been married 30 years. At five o'clock, Frank Sinatra, Nat King Cole, Harry Connick, something like that goes on the radio in the house, in the kitchen. She starts to make dinner. And this is mix all sorts of soccer practices, basketball practices, in and out forever after school. This was crazy. The kids did their homework and she made she cooked in front of them. And eventually they helped cook. And so now they they associate the smells of food and music and peacetime as a positive thing for them. They'll always remember and that triggers that for them. And and cooking is a joy in our household versus something that's not. And you know, you said food is fuel. I'm curious if you could drill. What does that mean for you? Food is fuel. Oh man, I'm just, nobody's asked me this before. And I'm just like, somebody tee me up. Like I, I, yeah, there it is. Yes. So I didn't know this for a long time in college. I ate Zaxby's and drank beer and I was into working out. So I would like bench press and curl because that's what you do when you're in college, I guess. And, mm-hmm. you know, I'm 15 pounds heavier than I am now and that's fine. But when I eat the same thing for lunch every day, like I'm kind of on the chicken, rice, broccoli train, like it's, it's cheap, it's easy. I feel good. It's healthy, but yeah, kind of went through this phase where you all of a sudden learn there's a colossal lack of education in the United States of America and really the world around food. People have no idea about like macros or calories or any of that stuff. And so when you learn that food is dangerous because you can have an unhealthy relationship with it. And I honestly probably did for a little bit when I realized that like you can just control like, oh, wait, you don't have to do a hundred sit-ups to have abs. You actually can do zero and just eat 
grilled chicken. And so people would get mad at me. They're like, dude, like, how do you eat chicken with like barely any sauce on it? Like I have to lather mine in um, Chick-fil-A sauce. And I'm just like, and I, I was that too. It's just now I'm at a point now where instead of I eat to perform, like to feel good. And then also because I'm like really into fitness, it's like, that's what's going to help me do my best in the gym. And so viewing food as fuel it's what drives me. And then people are like, dude, that doesn't taste that good. And I know that I'm kind of in like this psycho category. Like I'm not expecting everyone to think that, but I'm like, man, by the time I swallow it, I don't care. Like, I'm like, I, maybe it tastes good in the moment and and you can make good food. That's really healthy. But my mindset is just like, this is fueling me for my day and everything I want to do, you know, for the extra, you know, sugar and whatever. It's not worth it to me. You are my 30-year younger spirit animal. I knew you would like that. I knew you would like that. My wife laughs at me because I, I eat food for fuel. I ran a health and fitness company for 10 years, right? So this is this was my jam and my daily grind and my mission, my t-shirts. My company motto was live fit. We had an app called Two Choices. You chose what to do with your time every day and you chose what to eat every day. And we would track people's energy level in those two areas. That was it. If you just chose to move your body and eat right, those two simple decisions, which are 100% in your control, you could change your life. And the funny thing about chicken, broccoli, and rice is it may not taste like a cheeseburger and a milkshake, but it still tastes good. And the other thing is when you're finished eating it, just to describe, there's no sugary aftertaste. Your body doesn't go into a, a crash and you hate yourself. No one regrets a good meal. Literally, no one goes, oh, I wish I hadn't had that healthy salad. No one says that. No one also regrets a workout. It's like, oh, I wish I didn't have a great workout today. The only two things people regret are the poor choices they make. That's where regret comes into play. And food is fuel, but when you learn to appreciate food as a fuel, you the reason that's important is back to routine. Every meal doesn't need to be a seven-course extravaganza. Some meals are purely just for fuel. And if you look at our lives, you mentioned that you eat the same thing for lunch. When you're working during the week, your breakfast and your lunch are almost always routine. So if you're going to make it routine, choose something wisely, plan ahead, and put something good in your body because it's just routine. Admittedly, when we're at work, I wolf my food down in 20, 30 minutes and, and, and go back to work. I'm not interested in a long, drawn-out meal. Then pick dinner as that point where you experiment and try new healthy cooking and some other things and make it an event where you socialize with your family, find out how the day was, and make it a point for your kids to decompress. You'll get there when you have kids, but food is fuel. I haven't seen anybody else put that in their about section. You had something else in here that's funny. We criticize most what we understand the least. I actually did a post on that two months ago as well. And called myself out for that. I called myself out for you know getting tough on a subject where I really had no business even commenting. And that's where I stepped back and said, Pete, just got to shut up on this and just let other people do the rant. You shouldn't be involved in this discussion. It's just an opinion. You have no fact to bring to the table. So when you think about the traits that you have in here, fitness, nutrition, we talked about singing, right? Which is another rich thing you bring to the table. When you're in a leadership role, and let's say five years from now, you got a team of 10 Hamptons on your team. How do you help them understand some of the subtleties that we just discussed and how important they are to be successful? Do you do it by example or do you do you formally call some of these things out in front of your team? Ooh, uh, I feel like you're testing me right now. Uh, <laughs> Maybe a little bit. I will say that some of the best leadership experiences that I've had as far as like people adopting certain things that I do is I do think a big part of it is by example. And I think it's in living in community together with people like when, whether it was in college or, or, or growing up in church or even at work now, it's like as 
you are with people and you know people, then they trust you. So it's like, instead of me saying, Hey man, like maybe think a little bit more about like what you're eating for lunch. It's like, I learned this from my mentor. He says, most people seek to be known, few seek to know. And so with that team of 10, it's like, how can I seek to know them? Not think about myself. The more I know them, the more that will open up opportunities to speak into their life because they trust me and they know that I care about them. So that, I mean, I would start with that. Well, because the key thing you said there was open up opportunities. And I think that's right. My father was a great example. He said very little. My mom said a lot. At some point, just kind of stopped listening. But when my dad spoke, people would stop what they were doing to listen just because it was it was so seldom that he felt like he had something to share or to comment on. And he was interesting. There was a line for him. There were lines he would never cross and there were lines he would never let be crossed. Very big difference, right? So unless you were going to cross one of those lines, you wouldn't hear from him. And I think the art of true leadership, as you described, is if you're talking about their pipeline and you're their leader, you have every right to be proactive and say, this is what we're going to do, or this is what we're going to learn, or blah, 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 blah. When you're helping someone become a better human, they have to open the door for you. And sometimes you don't even know the door is open. You're just doing it by example, and they're paying attention, and you may not even be aware of it. Kids are the same way. So the fact that you've observed there, when that open opportunity is there, that's when you have a chance to do it, either by example, or they say, Hampton, could you tell me why you feel food is fuel? There's the door opener, right? And they've given you an opportunity to share your thoughts. So you mentioned that your wife's an incredible wedding photographer. She didn't shoot your wedding, did she? She did not shoot my wedding. <laughs> that would have been awesome, by the way. Hey, that would- She'd have been taking selfies the entire time. <laughs> yep. You're exactly right. Is she into fitness and nutrition as much as you are? No, <laughs> but she still loves it. Like I feel like it's become, it's like my hobby. It's not her hobby, but it's a major priority in her life. Uh, so yeah. That's interesting. And, and by the way, good for her because that's more difficult. Yeah. Right. You and I like to do this. It's weird. I love to exercise. If somebody said, hey, do you want to go watch a movie or go for a five mile run? I'm like, dude, let's go run. Yeah. <laughs> in a heartbeat. My wife would be like, is it a Nicholas Sparks movie? Because I'm completely into it. <laughs> My wife's a stud. She's worked out all of her life and, and does it because she knows it's the right thing to do. And then she's picked up tennis and loves to run. So she's kind of gravitated towards things that really give her passion and joy. But yeah, she would definitely consider me a psycho and um, not normal. Like if anyone has any advice for me, hit me up because I'm one or two weeks away from really getting in trouble for when Erica goes, so what should you have for dinner tonight? And I say, chicken. <laughs> we had that discussion. By the way, when my wife got pregnant, chicken went out the window for two of the pregnancies. Okay. Okay. <laughs> that was a game changer because that's all I ate. And she's like, I can't even be around it. I can't smell it. I can't touch it. So you know, we had to make a couple pivots there and, and figure out alternative protein sources, which was interesting. <laughs> yeah. So, all right. You got the Wake Up and Lead podcast. You really enjoy your job. And I will tell you, you have it. So you have, you have a charisma you mentioned before as a big part of leadership, but it fades quickly unless the results are there, right? So if we were to sit down and have this podcast in five years, what are the three biggest things you'd like to accomplish between now and then? It can change, but if you had to answer that question right now, what are your three biggest goals in the next five years? Three. Ooh. All right, man. All right. Let's see. All right. One personal life goal in five years. I don't say this out loud a lot because it sounds weird, but I want to be unreasonably fit. Like I just want people to be like, 
dude, like I don't, but one thing I like is I don't care to talk about it. Like I heard you say on a podcast, it's like, you know, your kids are at soccer practice and you're running. It's like, you don't want anyone to see you. It's just, it's just kind of what you do. Like, and it's a hack when it's your hobby, you know? So I want in five years to do that. And it's like, when I have a kid, I, and (laughs) the ignorance might be bliss, but I want to get even more fit. Like, I feel like, like when I got married, it's kind of people expect you to kind of put on some weight. And I was like, I want to go in the opposite direction. Like when I have a kid, I'm like, I want to figure out a way, even though I'm exhausted to like get even more fit. Like it's just a challenge for myself. So like in five years from now, I would love that. I don't think I want to have a sales title in five years. However, I know that everything is sales and every, you know, whatever I do for the rest of my life, like I want there to be a sales element to it. I don't think I'm like passionate about just individually being sales driven, but I want to say in five years from now that I had, cause I'm, I'm finishing up my first full like year and a half of like being an accounting executive before it was like cold calling and stuff. So like, I would love to say that I had some really big accomplishments from a sales perspective. And even if I'm not doing that by title anymore, I, I feel very confident that I know what I'm doing there. Cause I feel like wherever I go with my life, that's going to be a huge thing to know. Sure. Well, I definitely want to have kids. I won't make that my third though. But when I talk about being unreasonably fit, I want to have a stroller and just run with kids in them like all the time. So I'll add that into that bucket. (laughs) I got the third one. Like this has to be big. I want Wild Spark to have a hundred employees and us be like the main company for that people go to when they want to develop their leaders. I can't wait to come back in five years and see how you did. Yeah, I just spit all that out. It's on it is posted now. So there we go. It's recorded forever. And by the way, all great goals. It'll be interesting to see what in five years you define fit to be, potentially as a more defined leader, as a father, as a husband, and and you have to balance all those things in place. And and by the way, dads are wear differently than mom. My wife puts everyone else first at all times. Naturally, she's just wired to do that. She gets her workouts in, but at the strangest times or it doesn't happen one day because something happened with one of the kids or whatever. It's amazing to watch how she does that. And she keeps it together. Me, that 530 times non-negotiable. It's going to happen. And you know there are rare moments when it doesn't. You just figure it out. Running with your kids is a joy. It exposes them to exercise early on and they just become absorbed in it. And college athletes like yours. Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty blessed. Like I said, my kids get their competitive streak way more from my wife than they do from me. She's, she's definitely responsible for that. Well, Hampton, it's awesome, dude. I was looking forward to this before, and I'm really even more excited about how this turned out since we recorded it. Well, I'm honored to be on it. This has been a blast. Uh, There's more to come, folks, with this young man. Pay attention. We'll put how to find him in the show notes. Uh, Follow his podcast. Um, He had this incredibly talented guest on a couple days ago. You ought to pay attention to it. Um, It was Pete, by the way. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, geez. Thanks for picking up that softball. Leadership. He knows about it. He's uh, he's curious about it. And I think his platform, I give you a lot of credit um, for someone to pick a platform and leadership and do it so well. Well done, my friend. Well done. All right. And uh, that's another episode of Eating Crow. Appreciate it. And uh, find Hampton in the show notes. Thanks, everyone. Thanks for checking out Eating Crow. Like and subscribe so you never miss a video. 